My name's Tim Whitmarsh. I'm a tutor at Corpus Christi College, not this college. Um, you can find me by Googling Tim and Corpus or something like that, and you'll find me very quickly. That way, if you want to ask any questions by email afterwards, follow up. Um, but I'm going to be talking to you today about this wonderful Classics Course 2, which I've, I've subtitled the, the talk, uh, Classics Course 2. It, of course, it's for you, because the idea of particular, I mean, classics in general, um, nationally and at Oxford, we try to make it as open and accessible as possible. It has got this image of being a sort of rather elitist, gatekeeping subject. We're trying to get away from that in every possible sense. But specifically, Course 2 is designed, as you know, for people with no Latin or Greek or at least less than A-level Latin or Greek. So, of course, it's for you. Um, I've put a picture here of this guy here, who's a guy called um, King Antiochus, who um, built this mountaintop thing here in uh, southern central Turkey. Um, and uh, he's a, quite a suitable emblem for the kind of thing that I'd be talking about, because he was the, uh, the leader of a, ki of a kingdom called Comagene, and uh, it wasn't obvious for him that classics was for him because he was right at the margins of the classical world. But he built this site, which is now a World Heritage Site, which faces east and west simultaneously. Um, I mean, quite literally, it's sort of a poised uh, east and west, and it's got um, sculptures on one side facing east, sculptures on the other side facing west. And you can go and stand on it, and you can go and see the sun set on one side, the sunrise on the other side. It's a very spectacular site. Hi. Um, so as I say, he's my emblem of the fact that if King Antiochus of Comagene could do it, then anyone could do it, because the odds weren't stacked in his favour. But he did, he, he went heavily into classics. You can see that it's very kind of classicising. Well, you can't perhaps see particularly well, but the very classicising sculpture there, lots of Greek inscriptions. So classics is an accessible subject. You can do it anywhere in the world, whatever your background. Um, it is a subject that is designed to get people into the ancient world, which we conceive of in a very big sense these days. We don't just think it's sort of, you know, a, a select group of, of um, posh people in Athens and Rome and so forth. Actually, the classical world is absolutely immense um, and uh, growing all the time uh, in all sorts of ways, geographically, chronologically, conceptually, and so forth. So, okay, it is for you. Uh, classics, of course, it's for you. Uh, classics, of course, too, of course, it's for you. But um, there is a prior question, why do classics at all? And that's what I want to kick off with, uh, because it's um, a question that you will be asked at school, it's a question that parents will ask you, parents, a question that friends will ask you. Uh, why, what's the point of doing classics? Um, well, um, a little statistic to drop in at this point. Uh, there was a recent um, poll by YouGov, the uh, pollsters, uh, contacting 2,000 adults, British adults, who'd studied classics at school, and these are just normal individuals. It's not um, people in the university sector, not people who've got a professional interest in classics, but just 2,000 people who happen to study classics at school. And over 80% of them said that learning the subject had enhanced their workplace skills, um, uh, verbal communication, writing skills, and logic and reasoning ability. Over 80% said it improved their quality of life. Over 80% thought that all sh schools should teach classics. So that's a kind of consumer survey, really. That's the people who have studied classics saying, um, and as I say, I stress that these aren't people that are party pre, people who've got um, something invested in the idea of pushing classics forward, as I have. Um, but these are uh, real people saying um, that I really valued that. I really valued that experience. OK, so what is it that people value here? Um, there are many ways of uh, answering that question. Um, one of them is to think about culture um, and the way in which classics is really at the heart 
of contemporary culture, um, remained at the heart of contemporary culture. This is um, a famous image, famous for classicists at least, um, um, but it's also an image of somebody that you will all know about. Um, anyone know who this guy tied to the mast here is? Odysseus, that's right, yes. So Odysseus, the central figure of the Odyssey. Um, can you guess um, who these figures are? Sirens, yes, that's right. So this, uh, Odysseus, um, um, hi, do, do come in. So, um, I mean, this isn't a knowledge test. So if, if you don't know, if you've never heard of Odysseus, that's no problem. But I just um, use this as an image just to make it absolutely clear that um, uh, there are central iconic figures of contemporary culture that are um, uh, richly classical and are immediately identifiable. And I'm sure that you know, even if you don't, didn't know that it, this was Odysseus, you would look at that picture and you'd know that that's a, a Greek painting uh, because the iconography, um, the imagery is so familiar. Um, and we, you know, we use the um, language of, uh, I don't know, the siren call and so forth, um, and police sirens now as well. It's a different kind of image. That's the, the, the image of uh, noisy, loud sound. But the idea of, of things, of the sirens being attractive, um, but deadly beings, beings that sort of um, um, seduce you into your doom, uh, that's a very familiar image. So classics really is at the heart of our imagery, at the heart of our poetic traditions, at the heart of our cultural landscape. And you don't need me to tell you this. You know that, um, for example, um, sport, medicine, science, philosophy. Hi. Uh, hi. Hi. Um, um, sport, medicine, science, philosophy, for example, are absolutely saturated in not just classical terms, but classical concepts, and um, they, they, they came from the Greeks and the Romans. Um, we also know, of course, that um, Hollywood movies are addicted to classical themes, whether we're talking about a Gladiator or Troy or 300, Clash of the Titans, The Immortals, whatever. Um, they're all set in the ancient world for a reason, because our big story patterns come from the ancient world. So doing classics is actually not just looking at the ancient world through a telescope, it's looking at ourselves as well. There's, a, a, if you like, a sort of a simple way of putting that, um, which is to say that um, when we look at the ancient world, it helps us to understand films like 300 or Gladiator or whatever better. It helps us understand the world around us better. Um, there's a more sort of complex and academic version of that particular claim, which is to say that um, in order to understand the ancient world, we need to understand what we think we are doing when we look at the ancient world. And that's why people often think that classics as a subject has got to be dead because it's dealing with inert matter that's 2,000 years removed from us. But it's not, because we're constantly examining ourselves and constantly thinking about the kinds of questions that we ask. And it's incredible how quickly uh, the field changes in that sort of respect. Um, so take a field like Greek tragedy, for example. The questions that people are asking now are entirely different to the questions that they were asking 10 years ago. I mean, almost unrecognizable that the whole field. Um, <coughs> if you want to know more about that, I can talk about that in the questions afterwards. But that's just to say that there's a really strong, powerful, dynamic relationship between contemporary culture and the ancient world. Um, it's not just the case that classics changes our culture, our culture also changes our conception of what is important and valuable about the ancient world. Um, to take um, a really obvious example, 
um, nowadays at the heart of any narrative of what is going on in the ancient world um, are issues like class, slavery, uh, the role of women, the position of women in society, um, sexuality and things like that. Um, 100 years ago, of course, no one mentioned these sort of issues or at least mentioned them in very different kinds of ways, more moralizing ways. Um, that's just a very obvious visible example, but there are you know, many other ways in which uh, the field is constantly changing. So, um, the next question is, will I get a job from classics? Uh, this is a, a constant concern, and it's something that I think it would be fair to say that universities were, um, in humanities departments, up to a certain point, were resistant to this kind of narrative because they thought what we're providing is actually something more highbrow, doesn't obviously translate into the workplace. Um, um, and until relatively recently, as I say, I think that was the, the universities were resistant to this kind of question uh, about employability. Um, but that is all changing the whole time. Uh, Oxford is not a place that does specific employability training. Um, my, I used to teach at the University of Exeter. They did do um, employability training there, and you would get training on teamwork, you'd get training on presentation skills and so forth. We in Oxford tend to think that is, that's the kind of thing that emerges more organically out. It's, a very, it's, a, it's more of an academic degree that gives you skills that you can organically take into the marketplace. And of course, as you would expect, uh, Oxford graduates do have a very high level of um, uh, uh, employability um, across the board, uh, Cambridge graduates as well. Um, but just on the question of um, whether you can get a job with classics, um, I'm quoting here from, this is a, um, the, uh, the, what's it called, <coughs> the Classics, in the Council of University Classics Departments, that's right, uh, CUCD, and their 2008 bulletin, which is the last time that they did an employability survey. So it's uh, five years out of date. Um, and of course, the picture will have changed since the financial crash, and I don't know in what way it will have changed. But the figures back then were very encouraging. So classics and related, uh, you can see at the top, 94% employability compared to computer science, 90%, engineering, 93%, and business, 93%. Um, classics is what people often call a gold-plated degree. Um, <laughs> that's to say it has real... Um, uh, uh, it's a sort of a, a signal um, that you are of a certain intellectual calibre. Obviously, it doesn't immediately give you the knowledge that you might take into a, a non-classics-related um, um, workplace, but it gives you the, the intellectual acuity, it gives you the, um, this sort of dynamism, this ability to think round problems. Um, that's one of the hallmarks of classics. Classics is not like English or history or art history or whatever, where you're going at a culture through just one particular channel. Um, classics is a degree that gets you to think from at think about a problem like, for example, say, um, gender in the fifth century BCE. Uh, thinks about think about that from a number of different points of entry. So you have to use vase paintings, you have to use texts, you have to use uh, philosophy, you have to use um, historical material, and so forth. Um, that is the, the hallmark of classics, and that's why classics is, I think, perceived as such an employable degree. And the other, the other um, reason is to do with language, and we'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. So classics is a highly employable degree, and especially uh, an Oxbridge classics degree. Um, now, uh, what kind of people, uh, what kind of job would you get? Well, um, 
the famous people who studied classics at university, I am um, including, of course, J.K. Rowling, um, Tolkien, uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay, um, Friedrich Nietzsche, Karl Marx, and um, you would know that I would mention Boris Johnson somewhere in this talk. Um, so yes, there are all sorts of things that you can do. Um, but the, the, again, based on this, actually, no, it's but not based on, uh, let me just try and get the footnote right. Um, it's a different survey, it's a more recent survey. But uh, it shows that most people go into media, law, finance, and this is in, um, not in any particular order. So th this is sort of aggregated together. The majority of classics graduates go into media, law, finance, science, and IT, uh, which is interesting, isn't it? Um, public sector, um, and university or school teaching. So it's that sort of classic humanities cluster that you would expect to be prepared for. Hi, do come in, hi. So yes, that's um, employability. Um, so let me talk a little bit more now about course two at Oxford. So you've missed the um, up spiel about why everyone should do classics, and now I'm going to get into the technical details. Um, the first thing that I would want to emphasize here is just go back to this point about language. Now, language really is at the heart of a classics degree, whether you do it at Oxford or Cambridge or at most other um, universities. Uh, why is it that we need Latin or Greek, Latin and or Greek, well, it's because it allows you to think like the ancients themselves. And the whole, part, the whole exercise really is about unpinning yourself from contemporary ideas and getting yourself into a thoroughly different mindset. And you can't do that if you're using translation because translation is always makes the ancient world look a bit too much like our world. So if you translate a word like the Greek word polis as city, um, Whenever you see the word city, you'll be thinking, oh, city, oh, I know what a city is. That's the whole point. You don't know what a city is. Um, and using the ancient Greek word polis actually teaches you that. It says, you know, actually polis has, this, I mean, for example, it's connected to a different set of words to the English word city. Um, um, and it takes you off in a different kind of direction. So it's really, it's that exercise in estrangement, if you like, estranging yourself from the comfortable familiarity of the world around you and getting yourself into a, an alien mindset. That is... Uh, at the heart of Latin and Greek, and we really do. I mean, it's a, if, if you love language, if you love reading, um, if you love understanding how thought works, classics are brilliant for that because it's, um, it works at so many different levels. You'll understand the structure of entire texts, you'll understand philosophical arguments, but you will understand how sentences operate um, and how uh, Greek and Latin sentences operate in a slightly different way to um, English sentences, or importantly different way to English sentences. And you'll also understand that all those three are connected, um, that the sentence, the entire book or text or narrative or whatever, um, and the structure of language, they all have important points of contact between each other. So that's why we think um, it is such a, to use this word again, a kind of gold-plated subject. It's because it gets you into the mindset of um, people who are very unlike us, interestingly similar to us, and of course, you know, in all sorts of ways, as I mentioned earlier, the foundations of, of a lot of the world that we uh, um, know today, but significantly different. So, um, Classics Course 2 is broken into two parts, um, mods and greats. Mods is short for honour, mod moderation, and as, as I'm sure you all know, because you're all here um, willingly, uh, that Course 2 um, you start off um, in mods doing Latin or Greek. 
Whereas uh, that's the, the big difference between course one and course two. Course one is Latin and Greek. Course two is Latin or Greek. So you would select one of the other, one of the two. Um, typically, you'd be taught with the other classes. And um, I don't want to make it sound as if you'd be a sort of marginalised small group because, I mean, certainly from my college, you know, the numbers vary hugely. But sometimes we take, um, you know, as many course two. Sometimes we take more course two than course one and so forth. So it's, it's, there are two streams um, in, in uh, the subject. Um, but typically you'd be taught together. Um, but um, in the first year, the course one people do, the Aeneid, Virgil's Aeneid and Homer's Iliad. Um, so you would probably be t- taking one of those two in translation. You'd read the text in translation and you'd take the essays, and you'd sort of discuss it with the other people, um, but you wouldn't be understanding it in the original. The reason for that is because we do think that Greek and Latin work as a, as a team, um, and particularly if you're working on the Aeneid, you'd need to know the Homeric background because the, the, the text works so much with it. Um, but as I say, you would major it in one language. So what I'm talking about here, these, these five um, areas here, are the, 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 what you would actually be examined on at the end of the honour moderations, which is um, four terms into your, uh, your, your four-year degree here, so the middle of the second year. Um, you'd have translation papers in Latin or Greek. Um, you'd have um, and language paper uh, as well uh, in Latin or Greek. You'd have um, an exam on the Aeneid or the Iliad, depending on whether you've chosen Latin or Greek. You'd have this paper here called Texts and Contexts, um, which is a very innovative, um, um, to use a buzzword, interdisciplinary paper that puts together, um, as you would guess, <laughs> texts and their historical contexts. But w- what that really means is that it gets you to, to, sh- to think of the way in which um, material culture, so um, inscriptions, um, architecture, uh, pottery, sculpture, and so forth, is posing the same kinds of questions as texts. And you have to answer in a way that brings the two together. So it's um, going back to what I was saying earlier, it's getting people to think around the topic rather than just you know, uh, focusing in a monomaniacal way on um, uh, one way into the subject. You'd also have a special subject, as we call them, which are um, historical subjects. And again, they're, they're largely text-based. So you might, for example, want to study um, the Catilinarian conspiracy in Rome in the uh, early first century BCE, um, which Cicero defeated. And the set text there is um, uh, Cicero. Uh, so you study the text. And it, again, it's a little bit like text and context, but with less emphasis on material culture. You don't, it's more about historical background this time. Um, there, are, there are papers on the Emperor Tiberius, the papers on the, um, the Athenian invasion of Sicily, and so forth. Um, you have four papers that you choose from there. Um, and finally, you have um, a philosophy special subject. So you might do Plato, or you might do logic, for example, which is um, it's, you know, uh, it's, it's really for people that like mind-bending complexity and you know, have that very sort of focused um, uh, approach to uh, um, uh, logic. Um, And there are a number of other choices there as well, um, early Greek philosophy and so forth. Uh, So you can see that the first part of the degree is getting you to think, it's getting you to think, it's a nail your Latin or Greek, um, which you'd have lots and lots and lots of, um, every week you'd have lots of uh, um, support with your Latin and Greek, you'd be taught very hard how to do it. Um, It's getting you to read the central works of Greek and Latin, Greek or Latin. It's getting you to think about the subject Again, more sort of central texts here, 
but putting them in a wider context using material culture and thinking about archaeology and thinking about this whole claim that classics is more than just looking at text. It is looking about the world of the ancients. It's getting you to think in historical terms as well, and it's getting you to think in philosophical terms. So these are the, the, the core elements. So you can see that that's really, it's, it's giving you a platform. And what's it giving you a platform for? It's giving you a platform for the second half of the degree, which is called Greats. Um, and here you choose a range of, uh, you have over 80 papers to choose from, and in fact you have more than that really, because you can choose a, a thesis which can be on pretty much anything. Um, so you have an enormous uh, range of topics that you can choose from. They're in um, literature, philosophy, archaeology, linguistics and history, that's what we say on the website. Actually, many of these papers are sort of crossing between these. Um, so for example, this paper here that I've pulled out, Sexuality and Gender in Greece and Rome, um, is, you know, uses any kind of material that you could possibly imagine. It's really interdisciplinary paper. Alternatively, there's a paper like this one, Aristotle's Physics, which is, as you would expect, um, it's, it's very kind of closely focused on one particular text by Aristotle, and it's a philosophical paper, and you're not going to get an awful lot of sort of um, opportunity to use your understanding of Greek vase painting on that paper. So it goes, you know, for, there's a range of all sorts of different ways of doing things. Um, it goes even more um, uh, off-piste, if you like, with things like uh, the reception of classical literature in poetry in English since 1900. So this is really big in classics at the moment, what we call reception. Um, again, going back to what I was saying right at the start, uh, it's showing you how the ancient world still impacts and shapes uh, um, modern uh, literature in this case. Um, and yet art under the Roman Empire and so forth. So millions of different things that you can do, millions of different combinations. Really, it's the idea is that um, having, done, having built your platform in mods, you go into greats, and you go into greats um, on equal terms with the, uh, the um, Course 1 people. This is exactly the same structure as they have. Um, and, but you get to choose your own uh, tailor-made course that really responds to your interests. The one thing I haven't listed here, which I should have listed, is that course two people in greats get the option of doing a second classical language. So um, if you've been doing Greek, you can pick up Latin in course two. So yes, um, it's, uh, um, I think that's probably all I'll say for now. Um, and I'll uh, open the floor to questions.